Revealing thy glory to thy disciples as far as they could bear it. Let thine everlasting light shine upon us sinners through the prayers of the Theotokos, O giver of light. Glory to Good evening and welcome back to another live stream Bible study on 1 Corinthians. I am Father Athanasios Heros. I'm the Dean here at the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida, and I'm your host for Be Transfigured Ministries. Oh my goodness, I almost forgot what it was like to be at Bible study. It has been so long. I think it's been almost six months since we've had a session. Uh, so I want to welcome everyone back. We already have some people tuning in online. We'll let them get ready to say hello. Um, and I just want to kind of recap for everybody how this is going to work. So tonight is session 16. Uh, and that means we are on homily 15. So if you're new to our Bible study, let me tell you everything you need to know on how it's going to work. So our Bible studies follow the homilies of St. John Chrysostom on the book of 1 Corinthians. Now I'm using this edition, which is a beautiful little book. However, it is also available online. And so because it's available online, you can download it in advance for every class session. If you're new, let me tell you where to go to get information. By the way, Andonia, how do you like my new website? Have you seen my new website? No, you didn't even see my new website. That's okay. Uh, we just launched our brand new website about a month ago. We're very excited about that. And so if you've been watching the Bible study in past sessions, the address has changed of where to go for information. So let me tell you everything you need to know. If you are watching us on YouTube and you want to participate in the live chat, first thing you have to do is right here down in the left uh, the right-hand corner of your screen, you tap the YouTube logo and it says watch on YouTube. So long as you have a YouTube account, you'll be able to participate in the live chat. And the live chat is a moderated chat by none other than Presbyteria Vasi, my wife. Now, the best, the most talented, the all-around amazing moderator, my wife, Presbyteria Vasi. That should be enough to get me in the house tonight, right? That she'll make sure the doors open, right? She's not going to lock all the doors on me. Um, now, she was going to try to come tonight, and she might actually relocate herself in other sessions to be in the room with us. She was unable to come tonight, so she is at home moderating the live chat. So if you're on the stream and you want to take care of the live chat, you can send your questions and Presvidera will text me on my phone here so I can look at the question and be able to answer the question. And weeks that she's joining us, she'll actually have a microphone and she can chime in from the chat room. So we're adding that uh, capacity this season. I kind of say season, it's been the th this has been a long project, right? So we started 1 Corinthians two years ago before the pandemic um, and then the pandemic kind of screwed everything up come on in here for Bible study uh, yeah. come on in come on in 
Um, and so I'm just explaining to everyone online how it's, how it's going to work. We have study guides here for tonight. So grab yourself a study guide and then I have a couple of, one copy left of the homily for tonight so you can share that if you want. Where was I? Okay, so the live chat. You know how the live chat works. Oh, I mentioned study guide, did I? If you go to my website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash Bible studies, you'll see all the information on the Bible study on 1 Corinthians and also for when you want to binge watch me, all the information for our former Bible study, which was on the book of Romans. So tonight is session 16. If you go to my website and click session 16, it'll show you a link for the study guide and a link for the video. So you can catch up on all the previous 15 hours on 1 Corinthians. Okay, so that's how everything works. Now, let's get to our program here. St. John Chrysostom, who preached in around, we're saying around 408, right, Antonia? That's the year we're using, I think, for here. When he was the priest in, no, 380, not, not 408, 380, somewhere around there. When he was the priest in Antioch, he preached these Bible studies on 1 Corinthians. And so what we do was we take one homily at a time, and it follows the scriptures, and so we'll read the scripture passage, we'll see what St. John Christum has to say about it, and then he always includes what I call a life application, where he takes up, maybe he, lump, he jumps from one verse or one passage, and he begins immediately to talk about how the passage can change our life and how, we can, and how we can live a new life in Christ, which is our motto here at Be Transfigured Ministries. Okay, so that's how it all works. So tonight is session 16, which is homily 15, and it covers 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. So that's going to be our scriptural basis. Now, we've had some technical difficulties. My son and I were here for a couple hours today trying to get everything to work. We got a couple of extra microphones to work, which is better than we were in the spring. It was just me, so you guys had no microphones in the past, for the last year. Um, so that way, when others are reading in the room, you can participate and hear them as well. All right, so let's see who's online watching. We have Ray, our dear friend Ray. Uh, we have Ross... RSS, I don't know. We have Philip from Macedonia is online. Sandra from Thailand. Angeliki from Canada. And oh, uh, RSS is from Iowa. So we have Land Lakes, Thailand, Macedonia, Iowa, and Canada. Uh, and so we have a little bit of everything. And we have people in the room too. It's not just me and the camera, right? I'm not just pretending there's someone over there named Andonia. She's actually over there. She's waving, but of course all you can see is me. All right, now let's go ahead and start with our prayer and we'll dig in right away. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, shine within our hearts, loving Master, the pure light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds that we may comprehend the message of your gospel. Instill in us also reverence for your blessed commandments, so that having conquered sinful desires, we may pursue a spiritual life, thinking and doing all those things that are pleasing to you. For you, Christ our God, are the light of our souls and bodies, and do we give glory together with your Father, who is thou beginning in your all holy good and life-creating spirit, now and for.
Amen. Okay. So, let me just kind of recap what we're doing, right? So, for a couple of you who are new, you might be new online. So, we started a couple of years ago on our project for 1 Corinthians. We're now in chapter 5. Now, I'm not going to redo all the first four chapters tonight. But suffice it to say, what I want us to take away from what we're, why we're doing what we're doing. The church in Corinth was very similar to our modern American society. It was wealthy. It was multicultural. It was highly educated. And it was also incredibly divided and fractured. Okay, so when St. Paul was writing to the church there, everything that the ancient Corinthians were experiencing is very similar to what our American society is experiencing today. Similarly, when St. John Chrysostom was the priest in Antioch, Antioch was a wealthy, cosmopolitan, highly educated, and fractured city. And so here we are in 2022 and we're hearing St. Paul in the first century and we're hearing St. John Chrysostom in the fourth century and both have something to offer us today because our societies are so similar. So that's kind of the intent behind it. The other reason I like to do it this way is St. John Chrysostom was a prolific preacher he preached on almost every word of the scriptures. And his style was, as he would do this, what I'd call the traditional chapter verse set study. And that's where we start and you see like where it says in the study guide text analysis. He's following it verse by verse. And then he always does this teaching part. Sometimes it's 50-50, sometimes it's like one time it was three verses and a whole lot of teaching. So. Um, but he always includes both facets. You'll hear me say often, they've heard me say a million times on the internet, it doesn't do any good even if we can memorize the scriptures if it does not somehow change the way we live. Right? And so that's why I always have what I call in the study guide the life application. How can we take what we learned tonight and put it into action into our life? And then we always end the night with a send-off, something that's going to challenge us into the next week. In this case, the next two weeks. We're already at our first cancellation. It's just, you know, it happens. Next Tuesday, locally here in Tarpon Springs, is election day. And so since the elections take place in this very room, we will not be able to have Bible study next week. So we'll have two weeks, if you're new, to get caught up. So you can go online and watch 15 hours of the Bible study in 1 Corinthians, unless you got caught up in advance. Did you get caught up in advance? I did not. You did not. You're admitting. You're admitting. You're, you're, already, you're already behind the eight ball. That's okay. We're not going to hold it against you. So you can, and now, if you're already caught up, I would recommend, just as a refresher, go back and kind of see where things were. The other way this works really well is I always give out the homily in advance. So tonight is homily 15. Of course, you weren't here last time to get it in advance. I strongly recommend, for all of you at home, read the homily in advance of the class. 
okay? All I'm doing is picking out certain kernels from the homily to kind of inspire us. I can tell you that I have to read these homilies sometimes two or three times to get the full grasp of what St. John Christum is, is trying to tell us, okay? So on the study guides, you'll always see a link to the homily. And if you want to get in advance, if you like to, for example, put it in a notebook or whatever, you can actually print all of the homilies in advance if you want to have them in your notebook. It's totally up to you. What I try to do is I normally release the study guide one or two days before Bible study starts. So you can go on in advance, get the study guide, and kind of have, have some work in advance. Because if we can have some kind of dialogue, it makes the evening a little bit more pleasant. I can talk the whole time. I'm actually trained. I'm a trained person here. I can talk the whole time if I have to. Okay, but it's obviously nice if we have some questions, we'll be able to have some dialogue. They can chime in some questions through the, um, through the YouTube chat room if you want. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, so let's dig right in. That's a long, in, in, uh, it's a 15 minute introduction tonight, but I want to just kind of recap where we've been, because it's been forever since we've had a Bible study. Okay, so tonight is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Do I have a volunteer to read? Your microphone's even already on! Yay! Okay, so uh, Andonia is going to read chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Go ahead. It is actually reported that there is sexual immortality among you, and such sexual immortality is immorality. Immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned, but he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged, as though I were present. Him who has so done this deed, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorifying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole leaven? Leaven. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be the new lump, since you are truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of mildness and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, thank you. Now make sure to turn the microphone off. There's a little bit of an echo when the microphone's on, so... It gets a little crazy on the internet side. Okay, so there's no punches being held back here. St. Paul is going right at it, okay? Um, so let's just dig right in. If you, by the way, so, so you know how the study guide is set up. So you see the text now says section 1, section 2, etc. That matches in the, in the homily, in the way the editors have made the section marks. It is, I've used the study guide to match that homily merely so you can find where the quotes are in the homily. There's no other, there's no correlation to how it falls in the, 
in the scriptures or what have you, other than that it's in sequence in the scriptures, okay? So this is just to help you find it in the homily, right? So we're in section one, and the first quote here that I want to draw your attention to is, as I just start off, St. Paul holds nothing back when sin is so serious. Listen to what he says here that they might as persons altogether aloof from his charge take it easily, but might be filled with such anxiety as was natural when the whole body was wounded and the church had incurred reproach. Now, keep in mind that this right there, there's immediately in Chrysostom, we see an important context and nuance in the church. The church is wounded by the sins of the members, right? And right there, that's such an, I mean, we could have an entire conversation just on that reality, right? Because in our baptism, we are united to each other, and so therefore, the entire church is wounded by the sin. And so he's going right out at it. By the way, just to, to show you how serious he is here, in, in verse 1, he, he says that a man has his father's wife. Just so you understand the context, that means there was a man having sex with his stepmother. Right? This is why our Bible uh, titles it incest. I mean, that is the seriousness of the sin that St. Paul is talking about. Okay? And he's just, he's, he's going right at it. Holds nothing back. Point number two. Again, we're in section one. Incest is beyond even non-believers. Unfortunately, not so much anymore. That's my little addition there, right? Um, see what he says here. Keep in mind, it says here, not even named among the Gentiles. That's his reference here. Listen to what Chrysostom says. Now, if their committing the same sin was unpardonable, when they even outdid the Gentiles, what place can we find for them? Tell me, inasmuch as among the Gentiles, so he speaks, not only they dare no such thing, but they do not even give it a name. Do you see to what point he aggravated his charge? For when they are convicted of inventing such modes of uncleanness as the unbelievers, so far from venturing on them, do not even know of, the sin must be exceeding great beyond all words. I mean, this is, you know, keep in mind that he, what he's trying to say is here, we, we are Christians, we need to be held to a higher standard. And we dare to do worse sins than the than the non-Christians, he's baffled. He's like, oh my goodness, what's going on here, right? And so this is pretty, a pretty serious thing for St. Paul. And again, I say unfortunately because our society sees nothing wrong with it anymore. It's getting kind of more and more crazy. All right, section two, quote number three. How dare the church tolerate such behavior? Chrysostom. And with him indeed he condescends not to debate, and thereby signifies the exceeding greatness of his dishonor. But to the others, he says, you ought to weep and wail and cover your faces, but you do, but now you do the contrary. And this is the force of the next clause. And you are puffed up and did not rather mourn. 
And why are we to weep? Some might say. Because the reproach has made its way even into the whole body of your church. I mean, just go back to this for a second in the actual scriptures, right? That they have this man who's having sex with his uh, stepmother. He goes, and you're puffed up, and you're not even, you're not, there's, there's not even a, an ounce of mourning. So it's not as if they're, it's not as if they're not, it's not as if they're ignoring that it's there. They don't even feel any grief about it. Right? How, how decadent that that must, situation must be. Now, parenthesis. Flash forward to 2022. We have this misconception that the ancient church were always so amazingly holy. That somehow we're inventing all these new sins in 2022. Right? But here, St. Paul is talking to the Christians in Corinth. He's not talking to the pagans. It was the Christians who were living this way. And so, on the one hand, we can weep for the, for the state of the church in Corinth in the first century. But on the other hand, if you'll please excuse the expression, we can be comforted knowing that maybe, maybe there's still hope, right? We're, not a, we're no worse than the first Christians were. So for me, that kind of like, okay, it's not as bad as we think it is. Maybe there's still hope for us, right? Because, you know, if, if, the, if the scriptures always showed us this perfect church, and then we saw the reality of our life today, things would be a little different. But thankfully, thankfully in quotes, we can see that we're not the only ones suffering from, the, from these various sins. Does that make sense? A little bit? Uh, I, I, hope that, I hope that does. Now, I'm going to admit to you that point number four, I don't know what I was meaning when I wrote this. I, <laughs> I wrote this a long time ago, and as I was reviewing for tonight, I couldn't figure out what point number four I was trying to make. Because I wrote here, when sin, when we do not mourn sin, and that makes no sense to me. I have no, I'm going to admit to you, I don't know what I meant to say there. But listen, let's listen to the quote, because criticism can always be an inspiration to us. Nor yet does he accuse them for not having given him information, but for not having mourned so that the man should be taken away, implying even without their teacher, this ought to have been done because of the notoriety of the offense. I'm not quite sure what my point was there, I will admit. But, I, you see, he's, he's, the point that he's making here, and if, and if you go back in the homily, you'll see the, the, the fuller extent. He's talking about the teacher and the relationships and this kind of thing. And yet, the teachers were part of, 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 of ignoring the bad behavior, right? As if there's some kind of victory there. And there's no victory there. Okay, I think that's why I, I for, forgive me, I couldn't figure out exactly. But it says, maybe he meant we sin when we don't mourn. Ah! <laughs> but as you did it, you got it. 
We sin when we don't mourn sin. It's just simply a typo. We sin when we don't mourn sin. Thank you very much, Presbyteria. Do you see now, Maria, why she is the best? I'm telling you, you don't believe me. See, none of you here even thought that was the answer, did you? Zach, did you know? I did. You did, huh? You guessed it, didn't you? Yeah, I guessed it. All right, okay. So, I, I, I've been looking at this for hours and I couldn't figure out what I was trying to say. How can we figure out when uh, we don't know much about it? All right, so my brilliant wife, along with Zach, figured it out. Okay. All right. Section 3. There's a typo on there again. Section 3, quote number 5. Some sin deserves immediate action to stop the spread. Right? Now there's some... There's some medicinal comparisons that he makes here in the homily. Listen to him here. Mark his energy. He suffers them not even to wait for his presence, nor to receive him first and then pass the sentence of, of binding, but as if on the point of expelling some contagion before that it have spread itself into the rest of the body, he hastens to restrain it. Cut it out immediately. Remove the illness, right, before it spreads. And, and he says, for indeed, as absent in body but present in the have already judged. He says, don't wait for me. Do it. Get rid of it. Cut it out before it spreads, right? And we can take that really in any sinful conversation, Right? When um, we have temptation, right? Temptation is not sin, it's temptation. And the sooner we cut out the temptation, the easier it is to remove from our life, right? The more we go down the path, right? You know, it's called the slippery slope, right? The more you slide down the hill, the harder it is to get back out of the, of the ditch, right? So in the same way he's saying, these sins are so dangerous, cut them out immediately. Take this and get rid of it. Alright, point number six. When the church corrects us, it is from God for our salvation. Listen to Chrysostom here. Then lest he should be thought too authoritative and his speech sound rather self-willed, Mark how he makes them also partners in the sentence. For having said, I have judged, he adds, concerning him that has so wrought this thing in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You being gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan. Right? So it's not just St. Paul saying it. It's St. Paul and the church, and the Holy Spirit, right? So when we are corrected by the church, it's not just the priest saying it. It's not just our spiritual father giving us a da-da. We take it to that it is for the entire church and God coming. Why? For our salvation, right? The correction, the, the, the discipline, is so we can be saved.
right? And so he wraps all of that in. He's the church, the Holy Spirit, not just himself. It's not just me, St. Paul, talking, right? That's why how many times do you hear me from my sermons? I'll say, stuff, I'll say things like, it's not just me, Father Thanasios, right? I'm here merely to give the message from the church who gives the message from God. All right, section number four in the homily, point number seven. All punishment is for repentance. Chrysostom says this, And he said not, Give up such a one to Satan, but deliver, opening unto him the doors of repentance, and delivering up such a one, as it were, to a schoolmaster. And again it is such a one, he nowhere can endure to make mention of his name. Right, so, I, I don't want you to think that St. Paul was giving up hope on this guy. Right? And that's what Chrysostom is trying to point out here. He's not, he, he's not saying, get rid of his, but deliver. In other words, bring him to repentance. Right? And, and there's, other, there's other places where St. Paul talks about how to approach people and one person and three people in the whole church, right? All for repentance sake. Um, that does not mean it's not without severity and is not without, uh, you know, the seriousness of the, of, the, of the illness. But he says, look, do whatever you can so that this guy can repent. And so we're doing two things in this. In this he's, we're isolating the contagion so it doesn't spread. And now that it's isolated, now he can heal. Right? In the homily, Chrysostom talks about this healing process quite a bit. And so you've got that two, th you know, the two things happening. Isolating it for the sake of those around and for the sake of the, of the person who's sick. And that's the same thing with sin. So they don't want it to spread. And also now that it's not spreading, now we can focus our attention on the healing part. Point number eight. The body and soul are saved or condemned together. Something that we contemporary Americans just simply want to ignore, by the way. Chrysostom says this, That the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That is the soul. Not as though this were saved alone, but because it was a settled point that if it were saved, without all controversy, the body too would, take, would partake in its salvation. Right? We are body and soul. And this gets me, or I remember... Many years ago, I was in, when I was in South Carolina, and I was at a, a, a workshop about hospital ministry, and someone offered the very challenging question, who wouldn't pray for someone to get better? And I kind of raised my hand. I'm always a little stickler in these conversations, as you can imagine, right? Um, and I said, well, I said, when we go to the hospital as Orthodox, we don't pray just for someone to get better. We pray that they get better so that they can repent, right? It's body and soul. It's never just body, and it's never just soul. Look at all these miracle healings of Christ. What does He do, right? He says, your faith has made you well. Go and sin no more. He heals them physically, 
and He heals them spiritually. We never have one without the other because we need our body to sin. Right? You can't have just a spiritual sin. Right? That's just a thought. But you have to have an action. You have to, your, your body has to participate somehow. Which is one reason, by the way, which is not at all what this homily is about. It's why we cannot repent after death. Because once our body and soul are separated, now they're not affecting each other. Right? To have true repentance, the body and soul have to be together. Right? So, just like we pray for the healing of body and soul, when we have the paraklisi service, when we have the unction service, the prayers are always for the healing of body and soul. We never have one without the other. Okay? And I like what his comment here was, Chrysostom, as if it was a settled point. In other words, there was no question in St. John Chrysostom's mind, there was no question that the body and soul were being saved together. All right. Point number nine. All punishment should be done with the mind toward the cure. Listen to Chrysostom here. And he said not simply that the spirit may be saved, but in that day. Well and seasonably does he remind them of that day in order that both they might more readily apply themselves to the cure and that the person censured might the rather receive his words, not as if it were of anger, but as the forethought of an anxious father. Right? It's kind of like, again, using the, the medicinal example. You go to the doctor, and you know, there's an old, old, old saying, right? The medicine is bitter. Right? But you have to take the bitterness to get made well. The more serious the physical illness, the more bitter the medicine, sometimes physically, right? Surgery is a very painful experience, except that it's necessary to cut out for the healing. And so in the same way, in our spiritual healing, there's got to be that bitterness sometimes. And we accept it for the purposes of the healing. It's not merely to make us feel bad, right? And so all punishment should be done with the mind toward the cure. And that's why when the church sets up the variety of canons and penances and all this other discipline within the church, the entire purpose of it is to bring us to repentance and spiritual health. The rules of the church are never random. They're always for the purpose of the cure, right? And a good doctor would do the same thing, right? The doctor is just, you know, doesn't just randomly hand out pills. I mean, I guess, unfortunately, some doctors do, I guess, but uh, that's, a different, that's a different problem. But in essence, it's the, same, it's the same struggle. We want to make sure that we're always looking toward the cure in our spiritual struggles. Does that make sense for the, the punishment of the spiritual life? Section 5, quote number 10. We hinder repentance when we ignore sin. This is such a huge problem in our life today. Chrysostom says this, Your glorying is not good. 
signifying that it was they up to the present time who had hindered him from repenting by taking pride in him. Next, he shows that he is taking this step in order to spare not the person only, but also those to whom he writes. Right? When we ignore the sin, we hinder the repentance. Keep in mind what, what St. Paul was saying here, right, was that, uh, what verse is it? Verse 6, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? In other words, you're totally ignoring this guy is living in sin. You're lifting him up, which is just emboldening his behavior, right? And so he's like, look, you're, you're the one stopping the repentance. Now, again, in our contemporary world, it's one of the reasons the church struggles so fervently in the name of what is sin. Because if you, if you refuse to acknowledge a certain behavior is in fact sinful, now you remove even the incentive to repentance. Okay, And this is why the church battles with the contemporary society on what is sin and what is not sin. Because if something is not sin, no reason to repent, right? It would be like a doctor saying, no, that's not really cancer. No, that big thing protruding from your arm, it's nothing to worry about. It's just part of who we are. Then you're not going to go to the doctor, you're not going to get it cut out. And you, what happens? You die, right? We do the same thing when we, when we refuse to acknowledge something is sin. We actually stop even fighting against it, right? Now, I happen to think that that's what makes orthodoxy so beautiful. Because orthodoxy, in my experience, is the only Christian tradition that acknowledges that all sin is simply something to be avoided. We don't have the, oh, this is an okay sin, oh, that's not an okay sin, or this is a really bad sin, this is not a bad sin. For us as Orthodox, sin is sin. And I think that actually makes it easier to fight against it, because it makes it more understandable, right? So I make, I, I sometimes, again, this has nothing to do with the homily, except that he, Chrysostom mentions, you know, the medicinal things. I will sometimes say, in comparing that all sin is sin, right? But some sin does more damage than other sin. Meaning, a paper cut and putting your hand in a buzzsaw, technically speaking, they're both cuts. But one is easier to heal from, from than the other, right? But if you said a paper cut was not a cut, then you wouldn't wash it, you wouldn't clean it, and even that could get infected, right? And this is the thing about sin. All sin is sin. Some sin is more, um, uh, what's what I'm looking, um, more painful, creates more of damage to us, more, more sickness, but it's all to be avoided. And I think that's what Christism is saying here, is we hinder the repentance when we ignore the sin. Alright, point number 11. 
We work to save the entire church when we eliminate sin. Again, this is that, that reminder that we're all in this thing together. Chrysostom says this, In these words, he indicates, moreover, that their struggle and their danger is for the whole church, not for any one person. For which purpose he needs also the similitude of the leaven. For as that, says he, though it be but little, transforms unto its own nature the whole lump, so also this man. If he be let go unpunished, and this sin turn out unavenged, will corrupt likeness, likewise all the rest. And so this ignored sin is like the leaven. There's where he's using the example of the leaven, right? As part of COVID, one of the one of those trends that went through everyone's household, right, was everyone learned how to make sourdough bread. Did you learn how to make sourdough bread during the during the, the shutdown? We have fallen in love with sourdough bread at our house. But as we said, it makes it all the time. She keeps her thing going, etc. Right? That's the leaven. That's the yeast. And as long as you keep that yeast active a little bit put into a fresh dough will eventually spread into the entire dough. Okay, so this is what Chris Adam is talking about. That we're looking to save the whole dough by not letting the leaven of the sin spread into it. So we have the isolation of the sin. Stop the sin. Why? Not just for his case, but for the sake of the whole. That's why he's using the comparison of the leaven there. The old leaven and the new leaven and the, and the light. Did these lights just get brighter or is that my imagination? Uh, see, I, mean, I, thought, I thought maybe it was my brilliance that just kind of shined a little bit brighter. Did you say doubtfully? No, I said it brightened up there. Oh, okay. Sure, sure. <laughs> okay. That's why my logo on Be Transfigured is the big bright light, right? That's a... Okay, so section 6, quote number 12. The blessings we have received are worthy of feasting. What time is it? It is festival, therefore, the whole time in which we live. For though, he said, let us keep the feast, not with a view to the presence of the Passover or of Pentecost, did he say it, but as pointing out that the whole time is a festival unto Christians because of the excellency of the good things which have been given. When we receive God's blessings, we ought to celebrate. Okay, that's the basis of his thing here. It's, it's, it's deserving of, it's worthy of the feasting, right? And there are so many blessings, and the homily goes on, you know, in a variety of directions about what is a blessing and all that kind of thing. So if you haven't had a chance or did read it, you want to reread it, I suggest revisiting the homily to see the, the depth that he's going into there about feasting. Point number 13. Even when we struggle, we should not be downcast. Christian says this, Let no one then be downcast about poverty and disease and craft of enemies, for it is a festival, even the whole of our time. If I remember correctly, he goes into this beautiful thing that it's the poverty, it's the poor people, it's those who have very little 
who can truly celebrate the small blessings from God because they feel them, right? What's the expression today, right? First world problems. We can't even, we can't even learn to appreciate the amazing things that we have in our, in, our, in our world here because we're so, oh my gosh, the air conditioning didn't work, right? When people actually can't do, I realize this, and I have to share this story with you. So this summer for vacation, among the different things we did for vacation, we went to um, uh, the water park at Disney, what's it called? Um, the, uh, the Typhoon Lagoon. And we're sitting there playing in the water. I mean, it had a, a blast. It was really a beautiful day. It was sunny and everything. And it didn't ruin my day. But suddenly, I came to this awesome appreciation that we live in a country where we can take tens of thousands of gallons of perfectly good drinking water and play in it. And it just, I mean, again, I grew up in America, it's not like, but it just smacked me on the side of my head. I'm like, look how fortunate we are. I mean, there are parts even in our country, but for sure throughout the world, that would see us playing in perfectly good drinking water and thinking, are you crazy? You're wasting all that water as a swimming pool? You know? Or as a slide or this or that? I mean, and it really kind of, kind of stuck with me just how blessed and fortunate we are. That other cultures and other countries, they're lucky if they get a couple of gallons of good drinking water. And here we're using it to ride down the, the water slide. Here, we're using in America perfectly good drinking water to flush our toilets. I mean, think about, I mean, don't drink out of the toilet, but the exact same water that comes out of your tap goes into your toilet. And, we're, and, and there, are, there are parts of the, of the world who are filled with all sorts of disease just drinking a cup of the water they have and we're using perfectly good drinking water to flush our toilets. Think about just how fortunate we have it here. And we're complaining about a little bit of this or a little bit, oh I stubbed my toe. Right? I think that's the point Kristam is making here. Even when we struggle, we should not be downcast because it's worthy of a festival, because we've been blessed by God. I think that's a good gist of what he's, what he's getting at. Oh, look, another country has joined, Australia. So we have, let's see, we have Canada, which is North America. We have Australia. We have Macedonia, which is Europe. Thailand, which is Asia, I guess, right? We have four of the seven continents participating in tonight's Bible study. Isn't that cool? Don't you love technology? Macedonia, Australia, uh, Canada, and Iowa. We don't, I don't want to forget Iowa. Iowa is here tonight, so we love having Iowa with us as well. I think that's pretty cool. God, I love technology. Okay. Section 7, quote number 14. Alright, this gets back to what the leaven is now. The old leaven 
is our former sinful life. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. To point out also that it was impossible after the unleavened bread again to enter into Egypt, but if anyone chooses, chose to return, he would suffer the same things as did they. So he's going on to the story of, of the Exodus and the unleavened bread, etc. So the whole thing was they couldn't go back. So what Chris and Tom was pointing out here is we can't go back. He doesn't want us to go back. Why would we go back to that old life? Why would we go back to our former sins? We're celebrating the freedom. We're celebrating the blessings. Why would we go backwards? Why would we regress spiritually? That's the, that's the point he's trying to make here. Okay, turn the page. Section number 8, quote number 15. To be found with sin is the cause of death. Not necessarily the most uplifting quote. Chrysostom says this, The believer must be freed from all iniquity, for as among them he perishes with whomsoever is found, is found old leaven, so also with us wheresoever is found iniquity. Since, of course, the punishment being so great in that which is a shadow, is in our case it cannot choose but be much greater. For if they so carefully clear their houses of leaven and pry into mouse holes, much more ought we to search through the soul so as to cast out even every unclean thought. All right. You have to go back and read the homily here to understand what, he's, what his point is here. The Jews, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they're so committed to getting rid of the past, they search every inch of the house to make sure there's no leaven. Okay, it's part of the, the celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the Jewish tradition. So what his point is here, <clears throat> they'll even go into the mouse holes to make sure there's no leaven. And that's part of their remembering the Exodus and what have you, right? What he's saying here is if the Jews will go to that extent on a simple little thing of getting rid of the leaven out of their house for the feast, that's the kind of discipline, that's the kind of commitment that we need to have to root out sin. We have to be so committed that we're looking under every nook and cranny to say, nope, that sin's got to go. Nope, that sin's got to go. We don't want any of it left behind. That's the context here. I'm not doing it justice. You have to go back and read the homily to get the fullness of that statement. But is that, you see where he's going at it with there. You're listening online, forgive me. I suddenly have gotten the sniffles, which I know is loud for you to hear, but forgive me. All right, section 9, quote number 16. We are restored after repentance. Listen to what he says here. For if he had said this at the beginning, he might have set him free from the fear. Wherefore, he not only does not so, but by the instance of leaven allows him not even a hope of return, but reserves him unto that day. Purge out, so he says, the old leaven, and let us not keep the feast with the old leaven. But as soon as he repented, he brought him in again with all 
earnestness, right? So that total restoration when we change, when we repent, when we begin thinking in that new way. I gotta blow my nose here, forgive me a second. I think you're glad I muted my microphone when I did that, okay. <laughs> the sniffles are bad enough, but I wouldn't want to have to blow my nose into the microphone. Okay, so here now we're going to close the text analysis. So Chrysostom has brought us to this point. We're talking about rooting out sin. We're talking about fighting sin. We're talking about we're all in this thing together, right? Now we have our life application section. What I've called it here is, heaven or hell is a matter of choice, right? So Chrysostom, and again, go back and read the homily, Chrysostom is taking this thematic material from Romans, and now he leaps into this whole moral teaching where we now section uh, 11 and onward. I've titled this, Heaven or hell is a matter of choice. And we start right off against the clergy. In section 11, point number 17, clergy are not immune from sin. Chrysostom says this, But I have a strong conviction that the saying about the leaven refers also to the priests who suffer a vast deal of the old leaven to be within not purging out from their borders, that is, out of the church, the covetous, the extortioners, and whatsoever would exclude from the kingdom of heaven. So, lest there be any confusion, the clergy are not immune. We fall like everyone falls. We, of course, as clergymen, have a responsibility like the Jews to constantly search out that sin to root it out but let's not sugarcoat it we are not immune okay we're all in this thing together and that again he's pulling off the imagery of the Jews and the feast of unleavened bread there section 12 we will not be able to claim ignorance when we are judged. Hmm. Chrysostom says this, What then shall we do on that day, when before the dread tribunal, he that has been evil entreated and lost his all his lost his all is brought forward into the midst, and you have no one to speak a word for you? What will you say to the judge? Now indeed, you may be able even to corrupt the judgment, b being but of men. But in that court, and at that time, it will be no longer so. No, nor yet now will you be able. For even at this moment, that tribunal is present. Since God both sees our doings and is near unto the injured, though not invoked, it being certain that whoever suffers wrong, how, however in himself unworthy to obtain any redress, yet nevertheless seeing that what is done pleases not God.
we will have no excuse. If we think we can get away with something today, don't think it's going to be that easy at the judgment seat. Now, this is not the first time St. John Christum has brought this up. Earlier in the other homilies, where he talks about don't get, don't get lazy just because God doesn't punish us right now for our sin doesn't mean he's not going to punish us ever, right? So here he is, he's coming back again. Don't think we're going to get away with it. We can't fool the judge, right? I think that's probably a, an important place just to kind of re-ground re ourselves, right? Remember, a good time to remember what the word repentance means. Repentance in Greek, metania, change our way of thinking, change our mindset. So we have to repent about sin, change the way we think about sin. Instead of saying something isn't a sin, instead of saying something can be kept, we have to change the way we think about sin because we will not be able to escape the judgment. Right? We cannot claim ignorance. Section 13. Learn from the past. Learn from the saints. Chrysostom says this, You will say, How is it possible to become such as he was? Do you then thoroughly desire it? Are you thoroughly anxious to become such? Yes, you will say. Well then, go the same way as he went and they that were with him. Now what way went he? One says, in hunger and thirst and nakedness. Another, silver and gold I have none. Thus they had nothing and yet possessed all things. What can be nobler than this saying? What more blessed or more abundant in riches? Others indeed pride themselves on the contrary things, saying, I have this or that number of talents of gold, and acres of land without end, and houses, and slaves. But this man on his being naked of all things, and he shrinks not from poverty. If we want to learn from the past, we learn from the saints. And what did the saints do? They did everything they could, right? That's in, in, in the Orthodox tradition, what we call the ascetic life. Askesis in Greek. Disciplining ourselves away from all of those luxuries. Right? And this goes back to what Chrysostom says earlier tonight, right? That if we're going to find the feast and the joy and the celebrations in even the small blessings, how do we recognize the small blessings? by getting rid of all of the luxuries, by, by kind of winnowing down ourselves into, into some more of the basic realities of life. It's a huge challenge, but it is, if we want to learn something from the past, that's what we learn. So continuing in that thought, section 14, freedom from possessions is true freedom. Chrysostom says this, Thus it is possible that he who has nothing may possess all men's goods. Thus may he who possesses nothing acquire the goods of all. Whereas, were we to get all men's good, we are bereft of all. Right? So, the real freedom is to not be weighed down by all the stuff of life. Okay? And I'm here to tell you, I know a lot of wealthy people. 
And the wealthier the person, the more burdened they are by their wealth. Either they want more, or they're burdened with the number of people who are always, you know, after them and this and that. <laughs> Reminds me of a funny meme I saw the other day on Facebook. Um, I chose not to do the genetic testing to find out my, my family history. Instead, I posted that I won the lottery. I have found 110 new relatives. <laughs> but in that same way, right, that's part of the burden of all that stuff. The people who are at you, I want this, give me this, oh you this, oh you that. All of that burdens us, right? So what Kristam is saying here is real freedom is to get rid of all that stuff, right? Real poverty is to have it all. And then we, we are, really are poor. Last point here in our life application. Greed leads to death. But Ananias and Sapphira, hastening to gain a little more than their own, lost all together with life itself. Withdraw then from your own, that you may use others' goods as your own. Right? Remember, go back in the book of Acts, when, this is what Christam is mentioning here, in the book of Acts, where all Christians held everything in common. Right? They didn't think that anything they owned was just theirs. And, uh, and Ananias and Sapphira were the ones that lied about how much of their stuff they brought to the church. If you go back and you can see that in the book of Acts. And what happens? They both killed over dead. Right? Greed leads to death. Ultimately, because it clouds our reason. Right? And we're chasing the greed instead of chasing God. And life is chasing God. Chasing anything other than God is what death is, right? So, that ends our life application. And I always like to always end the session with what I call this send-off. But, before we get there, any questions? And if you're watching online and you want to chime in a question, just let Presbyterra know and she can send me a question. Any questions before we close for the night? We're a little over an hour, but that's okay. You guys have any questions? No? Yes? We're good? Yeah, put it, put, it on, put it on, and then just get real close to it so they can hear you. All right. Yeah, so I just, I guess my question, at least in regards to the scripture itself, is in verse 6, when he talks about your glorying is not good. What does he mean by glorying? Right, so that, make sure to turn the microphone because it gets echoey if you leave it on. So that's when Chris Dumb says, you guys, aren't, you guys aren't even pretending it's bad. They were taking this guy... And they were elevating him. They were glorifying him. Instead of saying, dude, what are you doing? That's what they're talking about there. They're glorying him, and it wasn't helping him because it was emboldening his sin rather than chastising him and correcting his sin. That's a great, great, great question. Anything else? Last chance online if you have any questions. I don't see any. So while I give them a chance, because they're a 35 second delay, by the way, so they just heard me say last chance. 
Alright, so we always like to finish on what I call the send-off. So my title here for the send-off is, Do What You Can. Wherefore, this is section 15 in the homily. Wherefore, let these be my words have been spoken to the perfect. Let these my words have been spoken to the perfect. But to the more imperfect, this is what we, we may say. Give what you have unto the needy. Do what you can. Right? Start somewhere. Do something. Because until we start, we'll never make progress. Right? And that kind of brings to closure that entire idea that if you don't even think a sin is a sin, then you won't start the correction. Right? And that's why, so what I want us to do this week, actually for the next two weeks, remember there's no Bible study next week because of election day. Election, here in Tarpon Springs, election day. Um, so I, I want us to say, where can we start? Start somewhere. Evaluate our life. Take note of what has to change in our life. Realize that every sin has to be battled against. And I would say, pick something. You may not be able to get it all at once. Even, again, using the comparison with our, with our, med with our medicine, our bodies. When you go to the doctor, the doctor doesn't begin treating a thousand things at once. The doctor will say, let's address one symptom at the time. Let's figure out one thing at a time that we can make better. Okay? He doesn't try and solve a hundred problems at once in our body. The same thing with our souls. One sin at a time, let's begin rooting things out. Obviously, the more dangerous, we have to cut out right away. We don't want to wait and delay cutting out the dangerous sins. Right? And that's the putting our arm in a, in a saw versus a paper cut, right? A paper cut we can deal with. Keep away from the saw, right? So that's where we're at. We'll see you again in two weeks. So in, a, in preparation for our next Bible study, I invite you, it's been so many months, go back uh, and watch now 16 hours with a Bible study on 1 Corinthians. We will pick up homily 16, which is session 17. And we'll do that in two weeks, right here. If you're ever in town, join us live in Tarpon Springs. Don't forget to visit our brand new website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org, and you'll see the Bible study section is slash Bible studies. It used to be slash 1 Corinthians, and now it's slash Bible studies. And you'll see all of the study guides and all of the videos from the past 15 sessions. You'll also, on the same page, see all the sessions for our old Bible study in the book of Romans. So you can go back and binge watch Father Athanasius, you know, because that's the new trend with COVID. Everyone binge watches everything, right? And, you know, you can even skip past the commercials if you want. But uh, until next week, God bless you, and don't forget to live a new life in Christ.
Be Transfigured is a production of Be Transfigured Ministries in cooperation with the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida. We depend upon your generosity to maintain our ministry. You can make a safe online donation when you visit our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org.